Hello, everybody, and welcome to the number one generative AI meetup podcast in the world, as Mark would like to say it. Today, we have a conversation with the head of TypeScript and partnerships at Llama Index, a really cool framework that allows you to give your LLM custom data to make it respond with information that is more recent, relevant, and personalized for your specific use case. We have Yiding, uh, is that how I pronounce yes. Uh, yes. From Llama Index. And uh, remind me, were you the one of the co-founders with Jerry? No, no. I, I came on after uh, they raised money. Okay. And uh, I read from your LinkedIn, you're like a TypeScript Yes, I... <laughs> I, I... I love TypeScript. It's fantastic. That's what I've uh, worked with for most of my career. So. Yeah, so the, the very first time I met Jerry, he was at a hackathon. And yeah, full circle, full circle. No, I mean, I, I would not have had this job if it weren't for hackathons. I met Jerry at a hackathon and I said, hey, you should build this in JavaScript. And he's like, huh, I'm not so sure. You know, partly because he's like, I'm, I don't know if I want to be seen as competitive with Langchain. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you're going to be seen as competitive with Langchain, Jerry. Don't worry about that part. But yeah, so, so after that, like we... Uh, start talking and then sort of I built out the first version of the TypeScript library and uh, since I was the only one working on it I was just like okay I'm gonna be the head so nice <laughs> so when was that you said late 2022 around when uh, uh, so, chat GPT started getting popular well so so Jerry started llama index in November of 2022 uh, it was called GPT index basically combining GPT with data so data indexing GPT. I I joined, like I said, about seven months ago. So, but the the hackathon we were at, I think, it was in February. It was at the emergency ChatGPT hackathon. Emergency ChatGPT. Yes, wow. because because they put out the ChatGPT API, the ChatGPT API, not the not the GPT three API, but the ChatGPT API, like Monday, and a couple folks in SF were like. Let's have a hackathon. <laughs> they literally put this thing together in like five days. And they got like five different sponsors also. So Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Um, so you mentioned that it's a kind of a competitor um, to Langchain. Like yes. how is it how is Llama Index different from Langchain? Yeah, so so you know, um, basically when they started, they both started in November of twenty twenty two. they actually a uh, fun fact. So Jerry and Harrison were both at Robust at this hackathon. Um, and I would say that the differentiation when, when they first started was that Langchain was more focused on chat and agents and Llama Index was more focused on data, vector databases, that sort of thing. And that's for us, even up until today, like the main focus is really about how do we deal with the data that you want to use with your LLMs, right? You know, early days, like, it was just open source. Like, if you went to the Langchain docs, it would be like, hey, if you want to use a vector database, you know, here's how you do it with Llama Index and Langchain together. And then, you know, if you, on the Llama Index side, it was like, hey, you know, if you want to build a chatbot, here's how you combine what Llama Index has with Langchain's chatbot modules. And then, of course, you know, you have a couple of companies called Sequoia and Greylock, and, you know, then there starts to be convergence. But I think for us, it's, it's always about data, right? And some of the early talks that Jerry gave, 
I remember one, you know, it was just like, he just keeps on talking about data structures. It's like, you got this data structure you can use, you can have this data structure you can use, you can have this data structure you can use. And then the funny thing was, like, after talking about this for about five minutes, he's like, you know, is this too, is this too easy for you guys? Like, is this like stuff that like you guys all know? I'm like, Jerry, you've lost everybody. (laughs) (laughs) He's better, he's better at the public speaking, a lot better now. So, Um, but yeah, that, that was... That was his initial focus, and that continues to be the focus of the company. Okay. Is there a recommended data structure that you push for? Because we're really excited about vector databases to yeah. you know, create embeddings that represent the context and uh, yeah. nature of the text. So, so yeah, I, I mean, like, I would say the vast majority of people ended up using the vector store index. Right with the vector databases, that 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 was the one that won out. I mean, we the summary index is still used in certain places. The tree index is not really used that much anymore. Um, but what ended up happening is you start with the vector store index, but then you build strategies on top of it. Um, so we have a number of different what we call production rag strategies that you can build on top of just saying, hey, you know, I'm going to retrieve the top five nodes from the vector DB. One thing you can do is you can retrieve 20 nodes and then you can re-rank them. So you use an algorithm to re-rank them and then say, okay, so I'm only still going to only send five of these to the LOM, but I'm going to retrieve 20 from the vector DB. I'm going to use a different algorithm or a different model actually to re-rank them, find the best five, and then send those five to the uh, LM. So that's one of the sort of production rag strategies that we have. I guess that kind of takes care of the smaller context windows for LMs and being able to get the most relevant data. Yeah, so so context windows management is was one of the really big reasons for Llama Index to start, right? It's gotten a little bit less urgent as the models have larger context windows, but you still will hit into that and also you'll pay for it, right? The more you send to the LM, the more you pay for it. But the, probably the bigger problem is the sort of like garbage in, garbage out problem, right? Mm-hmm. If you start sending the LM irrelevant data, they're not going to give you a very good response. It's just like a human being. If I, you know, if I dropped the entire US tax code on this desk and I'm like, hey, Shashank, I have a task question for you you're not going to give me a really good answer, right? So, like, really finding the most relevant pieces of information and getting that to the LM is very, very important. That's a good point. Um, so you mentioned before that there's all these different types of indices like uh, or indexes, like a summary and or a tree index. Like, if I'm trying to determine what's right for my project, like, what would be kind of like the use cases when I'd want to use those particular types of indexes? I, I would say, like, once again, I, I would say the tree one is not is a very specialized thing that you probably don't want to worry about now. Vector store index is where 90% of the work is being done. The summary index is useful for summaries. It used to be called the list index. Now it's called the summary index because it is actually useful for summarization. So those are the two that I would really think about. But once again, on top of that, additional strategies to get you better performance. Okay, so that's like the filtering techniques that you mentioned. There's there's so many different techniques. you know, re-ranking is, is one of those. And then another one is we have this whole class of strategies that we call small to big, or another way to say it is like the embed small retrieve big strategy, ESRB. The idea here being like, basically one of the things you need to make sure is that your chunks are semantically coherent, 
right? Like what 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 do what does an embedding model do? I mean, it, it takes some text, transforms it into a bunch of floating point numbers. What do those floating point numbers represent? I have no idea. Neither do you. Neither are the people who actually built these embedding models. Okay, but you can kind of guess that there's a few different things that go in there. One of which is meaning, semantic meaning. One of which is actually keywords. You think, oh, why, you know, like we have keyword search already. Why does this thing do any keyword stuff? Well, because if it didn't do anything with keywords, it would give you really bad results, right? So keywords is part of it. Semantic meaning is part of it. And if your chunks are more semantically coherent, right? If they have one strong meaning, then you're going to get a vector that's more unique, right? So if you have these big chunks, which is where we start people at, the nice thing is that it's kind of likely just almost by chance that you're going to get the data you need when you do the retrieval. But the problem with that, with the big chunks, is that they're not very semantically coherent, right? And so what happens is these vectors start looking a lot like each other. So now you can go smaller and smaller and smaller. Like what's the smallest place where you can be semantically coherent? It's probably at the sentence level. Subject, verb, object, mm -hmm. right? At that sentence level, the problem becomes that there may be other things that you want to send to the LLM right around that sentence. Very, very simple example. You're like, you know, Shashank, he's hosting a podcast. He also enjoys playing basketball. Okay. If I ask a question about Shashank, once again, there is, there is going to be some keyword search in there, right? So it's very likely to pull that first sentence, right? But if I said, hey, you know, what are his hobbies? That's not in that first sentence. You need the sentences around it to give you the context. So you have to, you can embed smaller, but you want to retrieve around it. So we have a number of different strategies around that. Um, this one is called the sentence window strategy. But yeah, it's something that we see people use time and time again in production applications. I think I saw in one of your demos, you get the next and previous sentence. Exactly. Retrieving. Exactly. And then, and then, you know, it's configurable, so you can have more sentences also. So you also mentioned keywords uh, is kind of like used in like the traditional search field. Yeah. How would a traditional search compare to a vector store? If you were just to search for keywords and return, you know, like a similar sentence with some window before and after. Yeah. So first thing that I think people should remember is that Keyword search is very good. Like, you know, like, look, you know, yeah, Google equipment, right? <laughs> like, you know, Google is a very, very, very successful company, right? So keyword search is very, very good. Now, where does semantic search, semantic meaning come into play? It's where, where it's magical is when you have none of the words matching, but the meaning matches, right? So semantic search is that sort of like, when it works, it's like, Hey, how do you even know that this was the right thing to find? Oh, because it understands the text, right? It actually understands the meaning. People have tried, you know, this this is this is not a this is not a new problem. People have tried extending keyword search by using basically banks of synonyms, right? Um, it, actually, if you use Bing, you'll find that they're they have some kind of ML synonym, automated synonym generator that's very, very aggressive. So sometimes, because now they highlight like, you know, where the search term was found, you'll see the highlight is like, it has nothing to do with your search term. 
So people have been trying to do that. Now with semantic search, it's done automatically for you by the model, right? The model is understanding the content and saying, okay, well, this is similar to something else. Um, so I think these two things are complementary. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, how Shopify is trying to improve the search experience across all their stores. Yep. So they're enabling users to search for concepts mm -hmm. in like an abstract sense. So there's like this thing called an LBD. It's a little black dress. And I mm -hmm. think uh, a lot of women are familiar with this context uh, concept, but I had no idea. And so if you search for LBD, they search for dresses that match this meaning. Yes. And similarly, you can say, okay, like winter coat. So it'll, it'll get a puffer jacket, even though it doesn't have like a winter coat Exactly. neither of those words. Exactly. And that's so where it's it, magical exactly. when it works, right? But can you just remove the keyword search from the equation entirely? No, because people definitely expect, definitely expect that the keyword is going to match. And a lot of times it, it does, right? Like, you know, like if I, if I had two paragraphs and one was about Shashank and the other one was about Steve Jobs, right? I don't want to get those two mixed up, mm -hmm. right? So the keyword is definitely still going to be an important part, even actually, even in the, um, the models, the, the embedding models. Nice. Um, so what are some cool things that you've seen people built with Llama Index? Oh, there's so many, so many, so many, so many, so many cool examples. I think, you know, like, um, some of the really, really interesting things that people are building are like non chatbot applications. So just thinking about like, Hey, you know, can I have like a bunch of financial documents and can I make like a decision on those right now, the models themselves, maybe they're not like, you know, this generation ready to do that yet. But that's that's really interesting, right? Like you know, like doing like some kind of like I'm gonna adjust these documents and I'm gonna make it like an automated decision on these models. I think the other things that like I've seen that that are really interesting, like some of these things, like you don't even think necessarily they're not applications that necessarily you even think are have LMs at all, right? So for example, your your example, that little black dress example, to a user, that's just that's just search. Right, like they don't know that that there's an LOM, but can the LOM make that happen? And you know, especially with multimodal, make that even better? Absolutely, right. So like, there's some of these applications where I think we're going to see a lot more of these applications where people aren't even aware that it's being processed through an LOM, but that's exactly what's happening. That's true. So you know a lot about Llama Index and all of its capabilities. And you mentioned some of the stuff that you saw people building like non-chatbot applications. What are some things that you think are possible to build that you haven't seen yet? Is there anything that like you're, uh, you think like, oh man, like we could really help with this use case that you just haven't seen a single person build? Or maybe is everybody yeah, using I mean, to this I'm full saying, extent? I'm saying that we haven't seen a single person build is, is, is a little bit, is a little bit hard. Um, or maybe like not built as well as you think it could be. Oh, there's so many things that are not built as well as they could be in the market right now. Right. So, so, you know, why did I join Lama Index? Okay. I was working on chatbots at Apple for the last seven, eight years. Okay. On Siri? Not Siri, okay. not Siri. So it was a product called Apple Business Chat, and we had a product, and we, we actually have a chatbot on WeChat also. Um, these are all public. And, you know, the, the chatbots we built, right, which are still live, right, and, and not just Apple's, right, like you can go to 
Best Buy or Comcast or any of these companies. If you compare that against what ChatGPT does, it's like, you're like, which fifth grader built these, <laughs> right? <laughs> like literally, literally, it's like, it feels like so night and day now. You know, obviously we had a bunch of resources, a ton of user data, like, you know, every, you know, we had good people, right? Working on this stuff, but it really, really is like night and day. And there's like so many of these applications, so many of these traditional like NLP applications. You know, we, we were just, you know, in multimodal even. I was just talking to somebody at the hackathon. It's like, if you think about image recognition, obviously a very established field. One of the issues with image recognition is that to train that image recognition model, you need lots of data. Mm. And let's say it's raining, okay? And you don't have any data where or you have very little data where you have raindrops on your camera. Guess what? When you have that application out in the real world and it's raining and you get raindrops on your camera, that model is going to freak out. It does not know how to handle it. Because it hasn't been trained on the raindrops. It has not been trained with images with raindrops on them. But if you look at multimodal LLMs, they can handle it totally fine. It's not a problem for them. Right now, they're probably a couple generations behind the text. They're going to improve over time, but that's that's like amazing, right? It's a total paradigm shift between what we used to think was necessary, which is that you have to literally like, or a voice model, you have to literally capture people with every single possible accent, or the model's going to freak out. And with voice-based LLMs, that's not the case. So this is. There's going to be so many of these applications that we haven't even thought of. Yeah. So one thing I noticed is that Llama Index right now is at 0.9.43. What are you waiting for? Why, why isn't it 1.0 yet? Uh, like, what's uh, what's the holdup? Is there like uh, some sort of like feature you're trying to build? Any hard problems you're working on that you want to? Well, you know, to? so so as an open source project, right? There's really there's this tension. In terms of priorities for us, growing the community has to be the number one priority. There's so many people coming in, you know, we see that at the Sackathon, so many people who first time they've used LMs, or, you know, first time used Llama Index, or just like, you know, they've used it like maybe once or twice, right? So first thing is you have to grow the community. And how do you grow the community? One of the most effective ways is you show people cool things. Like people are very interested in seeing the future. But the thing about the future is that it's not necessarily ready yet, right? <laughs> so priority number one is we have to grow the community. And by to grow the community, we have to build stuff on the leading edge, whether it's RAG, whether it's agents. We're building stuff on the leading edge, stuff that maybe not quite tested out yet. The second priority is to make things production ready. Why do we have to make things production ready? Because if we don't make things production ready, once people build the real applications, they're like, hey, I can't use this. So this year especially, we have a very, very big focus on making things production ready. But these two things are, as you can imagine, a little bit of intention, mm -hmm. right? Because the more new cool things you build, the less production ready those things are gonna be. So that's why we're not at 1.0 yet. We probably won't be at 1.0 for a bit. And if we are at 1.0, it probably won't be everything will be at 1.0. It'll be a subset 
that's really production ready, that would be a 1.0. Uh, speaking of production ready, do you find that any of the people who are using Llama Index are using it in production at yes. scale right now? Yes. Yes, we, we, we know for a fact that there are a number of companies that are using Llama Index in production at scale. Now it's what parts of the library they're using, right? So there's, they're using certain parts to do certain tasks. Um, but yes, they are. Okay, that's great. So uh, we kind of mentioned being on the, looking forward to the future of building new things. What hard problems are you working on right now? Maybe like are you working on anything like like hardware limitations? Uh, you mentioned context window before, uh, hallucinations. Any just type of hard problems that you're trying to solve so, that you think like you know in yeah. the future that you're gonna. So so we recently put out a bounty on Replit for what we call the killer doc problem. Okay, you have a thousand documents. How are you gonna get good results out of that? Right, that's a hard problem that requires multiple layers of strategies. You know, most of the demos. People build, you know, one, two, three, four documents. That's pretty much a solved problem at this point. But if you have thousands of documents, some of them may not be, you know, you, you might not want to search over all of them. In fact, you don't want to search over all of them yeah. at the same time. Um, so figuring out which documents you want to search over, figuring out how, like, how do you handle data that's incorrect? Right, so this is something we talk about a lot is like recency filtering. Any company, you go on the SharePoint, you go on the Notion, there's stuff that's wildly out of date and incorrect. Nobody bothers to go and clean that up, right? right? So how do you deal with that? So these are like sort of real production problems that we are actively working on solving this year. That's great, that's exciting. Uh, so that's, I think, pretty much all the main uh, questions that I had. Shashank, do you have anything else you want to ask? No, this was a fantastic chat. Maybe just to wrap things up, to understand a little bit more about uh, you and yeah. what got you interested in the space. So you mentioned uh, working at Apple on maybe like the traditional chatbots. I'm assuming you had like some decision trees. And so what was your journey before that? What got you interested in tech and particularly like uh, AI, generative AI and LLMs? Yeah, so, so, so I've been working on AI applications for a while now, and not just chatbots, but prior to that, I was in finance working on ML trading. But, you know, I, I think it's, it's very rare when you're in a career, there's a few points in your career where it's like, literally everything I've built is obsolete. <laughs> okay? It's only happened to me twice. Okay? Literally, and I'll tell you about the other time. I was an internet pawn. Have you heard of Palm? You guys are yeah, over here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you've heard yeah. of Palm? Okay. Yeah. They, they, they used to be just, just down the street over here. Okay. I was at Palm. I was an intern in 2006. Okay. And I was having team lunch. And I'm like, hey, there's this article on Bloomberg that says that Apple's going to come out with a smartphone. <laughs> and they're like, oh, Apple's, every year there's a rumor that Apple's going to come out with a smartphone. You know, Palm invented the smartphone. Palm invented the personal, you know, Palm-based computing device. That's why it's called Palm. And they invented, they were one of those three companies that had the first commercial smartphones. And then when Apple came out with the smartphone, our stuff was obsolete. It was so obsolete that Verizon exercised a clause in their contract to return the smartphones to us. Oh, wow. Wow. Right? And you think, so the Palm smartphones that we had, that were from Verizon. They had Verizon right here yeah. on the back, okay? When the OS booted up, the first thing that showed up, Verizon, okay? <laughs> the, not only was the smartphones locked to Verizon, 
back then, the radio chips weren't powerful enough to handle that many bands. So even if you unlocked it, there was no radio. There, you, you couldn't actually tune to the bands from the other carriers. When Verizon returned hundreds of millions of dollars of smartphones to Palm, those hundreds of millions of dollars of smartphones became hundreds of millions of dollars worth of garbage. Yeah. Right? But that's what happened. The market, like Verizon was very clear. They said, look, nobody's buying your phones. I'm sorry. Okay? Like nobody wants those things anymore. So, you know, when I saw what the GPTA API could do last year, I'm like, yeah, like the stuff we were working on, it's just, it's obsolete. It, it, it wasn't because we didn't have smart people working on it. It, didn't, it wasn't because we were under-resourced. It, it wasn't because we didn't have enough data. It's just obsolete. And so, you know, I, I think those are very rare moments in your career. And the last time that happened to me, I went into finance instead of, you know, I was a mobile developer, right? Like before the iPhone came out, like think about how many mobile developers <laughs> there were before the iPhone came out. And I obviously did not take advantage of it at all. So this time I'm like, you know, I, I, have to, I, have to, I have to jump on this. Yeah. It reminds me, did you ever watch the BlackBerry movie? I think they had a very similar yeah. uh, situation to what you mentioned, uh, yeah. where they had to return all the phones. I don't yeah. think it was Verizon. I think it was like AT&T or something like yeah. that. But Nobody it's, it's crazy how things just change. Yeah. In, overnight. Overnight. Yeah. That's all I have. Yeah. Uh, thank Same. you so much for coming on. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that you want to mention? The floor is yours. Anything you want to... Uh, okay. We didn't talk last about? Last question for you two. Yeah. I, I ask this question a lot. So, and I find that the community is split. Very simple question. Do you think the next generations of LMs, you know, whether it's GPT-5, GPT-6, Anthropics, Claude 3, 4, do you think they're going to be exponentially better than the ones we have today? Or do you think they're just going to be marginally better? I was having a similar discussion with, uh, what was it, another member from our group, Lonnie. And yeah. he was talking about the chinchilla scaling law. So it's like you get uh, 10x more data, 10x more compute, and we're going to get like a doubling in performance. Okay. And that kind of makes sense. It seems like we're hitting diminishing returns for what we can You think we, we're hitting models. diminishing returns? Out of the transformer models and the way they're being deployed today. Okay. And that seems to uh, coincide with what uh, Sam Altman and Ilya and like other heads of uh, AI say where they don't think the same strategy will take us from GPT-4 to 5. Okay, there's a technical question about, you know, whether the models are going to be exactly the same. And I agree with you, the models aren't going to be exactly the same. But practically, is GPT-5 and 6 going to be exponentially better or okay. just a little bit better? So to clarify, I don't think the same strategies will take us from GPT-4 to AGI. Um, they'll take us to an incrementally not. better model. Uh, but you, you know, think the next double, models are going to be incrementally better? Just incrementally, incrementally better. better yeah. Okay, what, what about I, you? So I think it will probably be some exponent better, like somewhere between like two and 10 exponentially better. And um, same person uh, that you mentioned, uh, there's a guy named Lonnie in a group who's a incredibly uh, smart guy. He's and, the CTO at uh, Analytica? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and he showed a paper mentioning that, and I forget all the uh, exact nuance, but uh, essentially the idea is, is as a model um, gets better, it will get exponentially better at uh, reasoning. Um, so uh, you can, I, I think there was like a paper written uh, sometime last year. If, if I find it, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, but I don't know if I'll be able to find it. And uh, it said that 
kind of like as you're able to increase just like the number of parameters in a model, it will be able to get around 10 exponentials bigger, something like that of reasoning. And uh, it seems like with the scaling laws that Shank, you mentioned, when you are able to scale uh, these models bigger, which is uh, simply a function of just like throwing more compute at it. And I think that- And data. Yes, uh, compute and data. And I think that these companies have the motivation right now to just throw as much money and data at this at, as possible. And I think that, you know, I, I don't know, like I think uh, for example, like Facebook, they've spent like billions or tens of billions of dollars training these open source models. I think people are seeing that NVIDIA is like a trillion dollar company overnight simply because of CUDA. And I think that the, the will and the money is there to make that happen. Therefore, I think that when somebody comes out with the next version of GPT, whether it's four to five or you know some other new model um that has like some minor things I, I think it will be some order of magnitude better it's hard to say exactly but i think it'll be significantly better and not just incremental i'm glad you two disagree because <laughs> because this is like you know i've asked this question at different forums and it is roughly a 50 50 split hmm. even on twitter like i've asked this question in a twitter poll roughly a 50 50 split i personally I'm on the exponentialist camp. Uh -huh. I don't think people are raising, you know, billions of dollars to build the next version of the model because they think it's going to get like 10% better performance. But uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see because it's going to, whether it's going to continue to improve exponentially or just incrementally is going to be a really big driver um, in the next few years. I think regardless of the answer, it's good. It's, it feels kind of like a winner take all. If there's a model better than GPT-4, that'll be the best model. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, th there is definitely some consolidation happening in the space, which is which is possible. And um, I think yeah, the more money you can throw at this, and uh, as long as you can make it accessible, people are going to use it. Although, complete tangent, I I'm curious to know about. Uh, I think there's like kind of two camps uh, when you think about these uh, scaling models. The one is using the best model you possibly can and then throwing it off to like some server somewhere. Because I think like inference on GPT-5 will be near impossible without some technological improvements, like maybe some severe like quantization or something, whatever they use to figure this out. But I'm also wondering like, maybe some people think like, okay, these models are good enough and you won't even need to be exponentially better, but maybe you'll be able to get the equivalent of GPT 3.5 uh, running locally on your Raspberry Pi or something like that. And um, there might be some really interesting use cases with that. So I, I think we'll see it on both ends. We'll see like models running on low power getting better, maybe not exponentially so, but like, you know, equivalent to what we have now. And then, like on the high end, it will be unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, Hopefully faster, better, cheaper, local, bigger and smaller. <laughs> That's right. All of it. Yeah, just so, better in every way. <laughs> uh, thanks again, Yi. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having me. Thanks so much. Appreciate uh, it. Thank you. <laughs>